To govern a country, you need experience. And this is not our first rodeo. New Zealand's very own political cowboy is back. Well, that's probably how he sees it. When it comes to New Zealand politics, there is an unwritten rule, and that is never rule out Winston Peters. The fact is, you answer nothing yet. After being kicked out in 2020, Winston Peters exits Parliament the same way he arrived and survived, scrapping. You're talking dribble. You're going to base your question on... In a numbskull uh, information. He's back at it again. Winston Peters has kicked off the election year, promising to remove te reo Māori names from public sectors and ruling out going into government with Labour. And his party's popularity is on the rise. All these then polls, I should, uh, Winston's back, right? They're all coming through over, over five, aren't they? The New Zealand First Leader can smell the leather seats of Parliament. Kia ora, I'm Tom Kitchen, and today on The Detail, they were gone. But now, they're coming back. Today we chart the rise, the fall and the apparent rebirth of New Zealand first. What has the party been up to since it left Parliament and what chance does it have of getting back? I'm going to enjoy this conversation. This is going to be fun when we've got another 20 minutes, so um, it's it's going to be good. Jo Moyer is the political editor of Newsroom. She's followed Winston Peters around in his party bus over the last two campaigns. And although she's not doing that this campaign, she's looking forward to the battle. I certainly have seen him already this week, and he looks to be in fighting fit form. Fighting fit form, I like that. Do you have anything that really sticks out as like a memorable moment of you know your time with him? I guess probably both the 2017 and 2020 election campaigns. Um, I was the only journalist that was invited onto the New Zealand First bus to spend some time with him and have a chat with him and do an interview with him. That's an opportunity to see Winston in sort of a slightly different light. He is more relaxed when he doesn't have a whole bunch of people around him. He likes to talk to other people about their life and what they've been up to. Um, he's long known that I've been brought up in Taranaki with dairy farming family and, and he's kind of into that and always asks a lot of questions about it. And he likes to talk about his childhood too a little bit more when he doesn't have a billion cameras and, and people around him. I think probably a little bit of a softer side has been seen through uh, those particular occasions with him on mm. the bus. So yeah, quite quite interesting, quite revealing. So Winston Peters, who's been in Parliament since the 70s, on and off a little bit, but pretty much all through that time, if you had to pick out some of the most memorable kind of moments of his time in office, what would you say? I mean, he's held some pretty big positions for a party that has has always been a minor party. Um, Of course, he he started out in national, but, you know, he's been acting prime minister. He's been deputy prime minister twice. He's been a treasurer. He's helped form national and Labour governments. And, of course, he's brought them to an end as well. So (laughs) um, he has had some some memorable moments. I mean, the relationship breakdown when Jenny Shipley took over, you know, the the coup and rolled uh, Jim Bolger was was pretty memorable. Winston could have been Prime Minister for about for want of himself. His complexity uh, often got ahead of his capability. In saying that, the relationship between him and Jim Bolger was actually pretty okay when they formed a government together, despite the fact that uh, not long before that, Winston Peters had left the National Party because he had been sacked from Cabinet by Jim Bolger. You'll find a thousand quotes of what I said about Mr Peters and what Mr Peters said about me. And if you want to spend your time regurgitating those, well, enjoy yourselves, indulge yourself, but really it'll demonstrate you have no understanding of the implications and the obligations 
and the responsibilities of forming government under MNP. They sort of would have these late night drinking sessions and they actually got on pretty well. It was it was more like sort of friends by night and sort of enemies by day, I think, a little bit. The same, you know, with Helen Clark, it definitely had its ups and downs. Clark relieved Peters of his ministerial portfolios shortly before the 2008 election when a donation scandal surfaced. The appropriate thing is for him to stand aside from his portfolios while the Serious Fraud Office conducts its investigation. He's memorable for, I think, his personality, his politics, his relationships with various other political leaders, but also that power, I think, and the ability to kind of make things happen or stop things from happening, I think is a a pretty big chunk of the Winston Peters political book. Let's go back to 2020 when... New Zealand first lost all their seats in Parliament. Mr Peters has frequently been a kingmaker after elections, but this time New Zealand First has not made it into Parliament. I think it's pretty clear what happened in 2020. I think COVID was really rearing its head and the country had very much rallied behind Jacinda Ardern at that point. No other political party was getting a look in. It was just Jacinda Ardern's election and you saw that with them getting you know, a single party majority. I think between 2017 and 2019, while the relationship between New Zealand First and Labour and that coalition um, obviously had its bumps and ups and downs, it was a working relationship and there were good relationships between ministers and MPs across all of those parties. And then COVID came along and, and Winston Peters, I think, very last minute, decided that he was going to run a different campaign to what he had been preparing for. I spoke to him uh, probably a few weeks before they went out on the campaign trail in 2020, and he said that they were going to run a relentlessly positive campaign, which, of course, I laughed very loudly at, as did he. <laughs> yes. And, you know, they had this this plan, and they were going to cover 12,000 kilometres on the bus, and um, they were going to get out there, and they were going to talk about, you know, what they had achieved uh, with Labour in, in government. And... It was almost like a switch. Um, Winston Peters just seemed to overnight get really frustrated with Jacinda Ardern and the Labour Party and decided that actually he was going to go a bit negative. We've opposed woke pixie dust. That caused all sorts of problems because a lot of people considered that Winston Peters was the reason that Labour was in power, given that they had gone with Labour at the 2017 election. In the end, we chose a coalition government of New Zealand First with the New Zealand Labour Party. That 2020 campaign for New Zealand First turned really sour pretty quickly. You had New Zealand First end up with about, I think it was 2.7% in 2020. And I guess the rest is history. And was it up in Russell where he kind of gave his... Oh, it's not a farewell speech, is it? (laughs) And as for the next challenge, we'll all have to wait and see. In that speech on election night in Russell, didn't sort of concede defeat despite the fact that quite clearly they were not coming back to Parliament. He sort of dashed and dashed out, gave this sort of speech that was like, uh, you know, thanked everyone, said they tried their best, um, hadn't got there, this isn't the end of Winston Peters, all that sort of stuff that you would expect, but no real indication of what that meant or, um, you know, whether he actually would run again in 2023. Of course, people instantly assumed that by 2023 he would have been out for three years, he'd be that little bit older, mm. and that, that that would be the end of it. Yet here we are. <laughs> here we are, exactly. I mean, did you try and uh, have a sit-down interview with him after that? Did he want to talk after 2020, that election? No, no, he didn't want to talk at all. And actually, 
didn't really hear from him at all for the best part of a year. He really just kind of um, slid away and obviously went and decided whether he was wanting to give it another go and whether they had it in them. And after about 12 months, started to hear rumours that he was out and about in Auckland and sort of meeting with people and looked as if there were some sort of potential conversations going on with potential donors and, you know, getting getting out and about it again. And, yeah, obviously that decision was made and that sort of 12 months that he had out of the limelight that he did want to give it another go. I think the first big occasion where Winston Peters was kind of back baby was the parliament protest. Winston Peters was pretty much the only, I guess, politician who has spent a reasonable amount of time in parliament who actually went out and met with the protesters. All of the current MPs and leaders at the time made a decision that they weren't going to go out there um, just because of the way that uh, parliament had been effectively overrun and, you know, they were trespassing and all that sort of stuff was going on. So Winston Peters turned up uh, for a day and obviously got a lot of media attention around that. The Right Honourable Winston Peters, flanked by the head of the Sensible Sentencing Trust, mixing mask-free in the illegal occupation. Since 2020, New Zealand First has also been in the news for a court battle around a donation scandal surrounding its fundraising arm. Winston Peters blames his election loss on it. In April of 2020, the Serious Forward Office launched an attack on New Zealand First. They have been smashed twice in the court on this matter. The defendants were found not guilty, but there's since been an appeal. Newsroom co-editor Tim Murphy's been covering it. The New Zealand First part was over a big dump of documents that RNZ and Stuff were reporting through the early part of that election year, 2020. The mysterious foundation bankrolling the New Zealand First Party has been receiving donations from entities connected with some of the country's wealthiest business people which showed basically that something called the New Zealand First Foundation uh, had been established, was receiving money and paying bills for New Zealand First's headquarters for the election and for its expenses for its campaign, but were not listed as uh, donors in the Electoral Commission's um, list of donors and under the rules of the Electoral Act. Quite a lot of money. I think it was something like $750,000 had been raised from high net worth individuals in certain sectors. That went to trial two people whose names have been suppressed ever since and who are said not to be former MPs uh, or uh, members of of the party, staff or so on. Uh, were on trial, they were acquitted for two reasons. One is the judge found that it was not a party donation because they weren't their organisation wasn't a party, even though they then paid the party's bills. The government after that decision changed the law to clear up that if you're a third party receiving money for that party and paying its expenses, then you will be tied in by that law. These amendments improve the transparency of party funding by providing the public with more information about the sources of political donations. You're saying that under the new laws, what happened would would be illegal now? Would be clearly illegal. But what's also happened in this appeal, which happened just on in early September, is that the Crown, having lost that case against the two people involved in the New Zealand First Foundation case, and having had the government change the law to make clear that what the Crown thought would in fact be the case in the future, the Crown appealed and wants to prove that even under the old interpretation of the law, 
the Crown was right and these people had breached that law. So that's what the appeal has been now. Okay, so that's going through court. That's been in court this week? Yeah, and it's it's a one-day case. It's now uh, heard. So at the Court of Appeal, they'd take them pretty high level. It's on legal issues rather than every little bit of evidence. So they've assessed that, and we'll hear in the months to come what the Court of Appeal makes of that. Their decision is kind of key to maybe New Zealand first success in this coming election, would you say? Well, it'll probably fall after the election, you see now. This is the thing. Um, When this thing first blew up in 2020, Winston Peters made a very big deal of the fact that the Serious Fraud Office was announcing and charging people associated with this foundation right on top of the election. He viewed it as political bias against him. The timing of his decision to lay charges against the foundation constitutes a James Comey-level error of judgment. This time, the thing has occurred again, six weeks before the election, uh, in the appeal, but that's purely down to the court's delays and all the problems the courts have had in scheduling things. So the timing can't be seen as, you know, biased, or I don't think it will be able to influence this election, other than bringing back into view what we are all talking about, which is the fact that New Zealand First had a very arguably um, dodgy uh, system with its foundation set up and the courts have yet to rule finally which way that should go. So with all this stuff going on behind the scenes, what kind of New Zealand first is Peters and his crew trotting out across the Mortu? Staff political reporter Glenn McConnell has been monitoring the New Zealand First campaign. He's launched his campaign and he's been touring the country for quite a while now. While you know, other politicians have been in Parliament, he has been freed from that place to go around the country and meet a lot of people. I've been to a few of his campaign events and town hall meetings, and yeah, he, he has got a bit of a following. Well, describe when you go into these town halls, when you go into these meetings, what are you seeing? The first one I went to was in East Auckland, and it was in a church. It was uh, He was kind of co-headlining with Morris Williamson at a Grey Power event. So it was definitely the older audience there to see him. What's this 2023 campaign all about. I mean, his slogan is, let's take back our country. I'm on a mission to return New Zealand to what we once were, the greatest country on earth. If you want to join me and many hundreds of thousands of others to make that happen, party vote New Zealand first and let's take back our country. It's a fascinating slogan, isn't it? Take it back from who? I'm I think that's a question that's been asked quite a bit. Has he ever answered it? I haven't got quite a, a clear answer from him. I'm sure he's been asked um, about that quite a bit. Take it back is such an interesting idea, isn't it? You look at what really riles up the New Zealand first crowd. It is stuff like transgender bathrooms or, or you know, should bathrooms be male only, female only? Winston Peters causing quite a stink today. Over toilets. I make it very clear. Somebody who's got a male appendage should not be in a woman's bathroom or a girl's bathroom. They worked up about education and what they see as uh, indoctrination, is what they called it, of children. Our system of education has been the victim of numerous virtue signalling tinkerers who have never been challenged. And they would now rather teach a young child virtuous self identity theory, <laughs> whatever that might mean, than basic maths and English. And they worked up about co-governance as well. I'm diabolically opposed to uh, co-governance. It will never, ever happen. And bilingualism. Under New Zealand First, we will change all the woke virtue signalling names of every government department back to English. I think 
it's taking it back from what they you know, have deemed the woke people. Woke was the word of the moment in his hour and a half speech. Our education system should be fundamentally focused on education, not using our children in some sort of woke social re-engineering programme. Meanwhile, you have a lot of people who have been with New Zealand First for quite a while who aren't necessarily that focused on this, and, and they want to talk about stuff like health, about trade, about um, the globalism of the economy. It's an interesting um, mix. How do you think this um, compares to you know what's been done previously in, say, 2020, 2017? Uh, to me, the language seems to be a bit more extreme, you know? So many people uh, have commented on New Zealand First when it is in opposition, or when it is out of parliament, rather, will really get itself rolled up and it will use language that is a lot more extreme than the statesman Winston Peters and the campaigner Winston Peters. I think we're seeing that so clearly at the moment. Beyond Winston Peters, there's a few interesting names on the candidate list. Shane Jones is really pivotal to the New Zealand First uh, campaign at the moment. He is going hard on TikTok. How do you think we're going to get along with this co-governance? Shane Jones back, we're looking for seats. Hard on crime, you know. I've seen he that. is campaigning up in Northland, trying to be elected as an electorate MP. Uh, there's also some familiar faces. You've got Jenny Marcroft there. She was an MP for New Zealand First and is now managing some of its campaign as well. And you've got some new new people. Lee Donahue, he was on Shortland Street. He is now uh, campaigning more on those social issues. Uh, he wants. He's very concerned about um, gender diversity. And you've got a few uh, members, people from groups such as Hobson's Pledge, who, you know, very social focused. Hobson's Pledge is a, uh, you know, anti-treaty group pretty much, uh, who have got in behind New Zealand First. Uh, my colleague Charlie Mitchell has been reporting a lot on the links between New Zealand First and its Voices for Freedom groups, which were sceptical of the COVID-19 vaccine. We've also got former Wellington Mayor Andy Foster. He has always been a New Zealand First member, so maybe not surprising that he hasn't left the party. Uh, but he's back. Yeah, he'll be looking for votes for for his old his old mates. I mean, what do you think kind of motivates New Zealand First in their policy positions and, you know what they bring out there to the voting public? Yeah, it's an impossible question. What what motivates New Zealand first? Because you have so many different motivations in that group at the moment. It's actually incredible to see the mixed views. And, you know, you've got actually Shane Jones, let's remember, has been so heavily involved in uh, te ao Māori and Māori business. And a lot of his supporters who follow him to these New Zealand first rallies are of a similar mindset. You know, Northland is being driven at the moment, largely its economy and social services by Māori business and iwi social enterprises, which Shane Jones has good links to. Meanwhile, you have groups calling out in New Zealand because it has bilingual names and because it has a, you know, a Māori-focused uh, safety video, which mm. they don't like. So it's fascinating to see these groups kind of collide in New Zealand first. What what motivates them Um I guess it's people who who largely feel disaffected, who, who feel disconnected maybe to politics at the moment. Back to Newsroom's Joe Moyer and her thoughts on the 2023 campaign. I think the campaign and who Winston Peters is sort of speaking to this time around is different. Probably the reason for that is the fact that National and Labour are having this massive 
that all-out fight in the centre, and that doesn't kind of leave the usual space for Winston Peters. And so uh, you've seen him more and more head into some of that sort of more centre-right space, um, fighting it out a little bit more with ACT and David Seymour. Um, In saying that, I think he still sort of holds enough views sort of more in the centre that you are seeing some uh, Labour supporters leaning towards New Zealand first as well, probably, whether that's because they would, if they think there's going to be a change of government, they would prefer a a national New Zealand first arrangement than a national act Mm -hmm. arrangement. Do you think he's doing this as a populist for a bit of a political win? Do you think there are, you know, strongly held beliefs in the New Zealand first camp that these are problems and they need to be fixed? I personally think it's more about getting that 5% threshold, right? He, mm. he needs 5% to get in, and I think that he's aware that uh, there's a lot of parties in the same space this time around looking for votes, with both National and Labour very much in the centre, and um, ACT is obviously polling um, extremely well at the moment as well. And so he's just looking around, he's hunting around, um, he's mopping up uh, some of those sort of smaller party votes who, you know, people are kind of going to go, all right, well, they're not going to get into Parliament, so who's most likely to actually kind of help us out? And they're looking to New Zealand first and to Winston Peters because he's kind of saying the right things. I don't think that if Winston Peters and New Zealand First end up in any sort of governing arrangement that he will necessarily be holding on to those sorts of policies and holding those sorts of lines. If they lose again, do you think they'll try again? Do you think Winston Peters has future? Because he's 78 now, you know. I mean, we've got Joe Biden and Donald Trump in the US, so maybe he does have a future beyond uh, this year. But what do you think? Well, I'm worried for your inbox, given you've just called him old and suggested he might not fight back. But um, <laughs> Yeah, I am the last person who would uh, publicly, on the record, on the detail, uh, rule out Winston Peters ever coming back. I mean, look, in, in 2020, it seemed as if that was probably it. Look where we are now. And honestly, he just has this amazing ability to sort of, in the year of an election, just kind of bounce back and shave 10 years off his life and um, suddenly look and sound um, (laughs) like a a sort of... (laughs) You know, much younger man. Um, I think I think you you were asking me this question, and he was ninety. I'd probably still be fearful of saying <laughs> that he wouldn't come back. Yeah, but I mean, who who could take over from him? Is there a future for New Zealand First without Winston Peters? Uh, no, because New Zealand First is Winston Peters, and I've had this conversation with Winston a billion times, and he says. It's about the party and, you know, the membership has such a massive role in determining things like negotiations at election time. He always talks about how it's a team thing. And and he's not wrong. It is. And they do help make decisions. But that's not what the voters see. And people who really, really believe in New Zealand first and, you know, have voted for him year after year after year... Vote because it's Winston Peters. You know, just everything about him is attractive to a certain demographic. And it's about him. It's not about the party. It is 100% about him. That's it for today. I'm Tom Kitchen. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Today's episode was engineered by William Saunders. Our producers are Alexia Russell and Bonnie Harrison. Thanks to Joe Moyer, Tim Murphy and Glenn McConnell. God bless you and God bless New Zealand. Thank you very much.